Welcome to the family with Hackmaster Ralph W. Basham, MD. Co-host Catherine Brandt. Andy Brandt-Bernard. And Cassie Schrader. Back in seconds with Dr. John Huber, how mental health warrants could be a legal, sensible, and effective means of preventing future mass murders. Dr. John Huber, our special guest, next with the family. Recently, the four Walzer dealerships in Burnsville, Walzer Subaru, Walzer Honda, Walzer Nissan, and Walzer Mazda encountered a hailstorm. A justice flew in from around the U.S. to handle a claim on what will be over 2,500 new and used cars. They've drastically reduced the pricing on these vehicles, and there are some wonderful bargains available. But here's the deal. I normally hate the hurry-these-won't-last style of marketing, but in this case, it is true. It's not like they'll go into the back lot at night with hammers and make more. I also usually tell people to check them out online, but in the case of slightly damaged cars, you really do have to see them for yourselves. Stop out to Walzer Mazda, Nissan, Honda, and Subaru just south of the Burnsville Mall on Buck Hill Road. If you really want to, you can tell them Tom sent you, but that sounds kind of dumb. Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Well, basically, we're trying to represent people who have been hurt then talk to them before they talk to an adjuster. Uh, one of the key points is to make sure you know what your rights are before you start talking to the insurance company and they start asking you questions or they try to settle your case early and cheap. Well, what's interesting to me is, you know, a lot of people have fear of attorneys. It makes them very uncomfortable. They get nervous about it. What should I do? I've known Michael for years and years now, and I would highly recommend you. So that should be good enough for everybody because I don't endorse people who are dirtbags. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, but I guess the key is, is people think I'll charge them if I talk to them. Right. So a lot of people call me up. It's like, how much is this going to cost if you call me back? Like, you want me to call you back? How much will that cost? I don't charge people. The only way I get paid is if we recover, um, if we get money from the, the other side. And there's a lot of people I talk to that I never get paid for that are just part of giving them advice to make sure they know what they can do and what their rights are. And your record's terrific as well, we should point out. Well, it works. It's been good. <laughs> it's been good, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> it's been good. And how do they contact you? And, uh, e- either through our website, which is minnesotapersonalinjury.com, minnesotapersonalinjury.com, or at 800-770-7008. Michael Bryant, Bradshaw and Bryant. Marvelous Marvin Gaye, ladies and gentlemen, and the marvelous Dr. John Huber. What do you think of that? (laughs) There's a hell of an intro for you right there, Pally. Definitely. You know, what's interesting, very, very quickly, I just uh, did an interview on on a radio station, and they asked me one of my favorite songs and albums from my childhood, and I said, when I was 19 years old, an album came out called What's Going On by Marvin Gaye. And on it, he talked about staying out of war. He talked about mercy, mercy me, the ecology. In other words, you know, living a clean life. He talked about everything that we're still talking about today. That was 50 years ago, and it still hasn't changed. (laughs) So I don't know how much longer we have to talk about these things before we actually do something about them. But to look back at that album, is pretty fascinating. He was talking about all these things, about, about drug problems and mental health, about he, he was talking yep. about everything. It was amazing. It was really a great deal. Um, the world, well, the United States, I think all the world, is pretty sad right now because uh, uh, of the massacres that, uh, that tend to go on in each one of our cities, the big cities in America, and then all of a sudden um, we have a situation in El Paso, and that same day we have a situation in Dayton, Ohio, and people just can't understand. I don't like, Dr. Huber, these, these politicians running and pointing fingers on why this happened, and they don't even know what they're talking about. They're trying to blame this party or that party. Turns out the guy's the exact opposite of what they thought he was going to be. I really wish they would shut up and let us just grieve in peace and then figure out what we can do about this. Well, there's a lot to that. Uh, you know, their their job, once they get elected, is to get reelected. And yep. that's really ultimately all they care about. Yeah, um, yeah you're right. I, I can say within the last 24 hours, I have taken phone calls from several state politicians across the country who have uh, invited me to join discussions with them about what we can do. And that's, that's a positive thing, and from both parties. Um, Good. So that's... Uh, that, that is an interesting 
statement. I mean, I've been talking about my idea of having mental health warrants out for two years now, and finally the politicians are actually calling me and trying to talk to me about wh- why would we do this? What, what do we need to do to do this? And how do we protect our civil rights? Things like that. Um, and it's scary, man, because, oh, you know, you don't know who the next shooter is going to be. And no, that's you don't. part of the problem. No, it's very, very true. We have been dealing with mental health problems from day one in America. We've done very little about it. And, of course, back in the Reagan administration, they kind of put everybody out out in the street again, which I never did understand that. And, Dr. Huber, I think you and I have talked about this before, that my father was institutionalized when I was a little boy because he was mentally ill. Um, Mm -hmm. To actually witness someone who was not thinking straight, who was seeing things and hearing things, I had, I guess in the long run, it was kind of, uh, in a way, a leg up for me because I saw it actually happening. People have no idea what mental health really is even all about. I I think that's probably true. They don't know what it is all about. Absolutely. Absolutely. And they don't understand. They think it's it's a broken thing and it's a human thing because we all have to deal with it. We all have to, you know. Whether you work nine to five and you don't know if anybody in your office has any problems, probably two thirds of them are taking Xanax to get to sleep at night. Another third are probably taking Adderall or or something else to get through the morning. Yeah, and you're having to deal with the alcoholic around the corner who can't quite get his part of the project done, and you have to go do it. It is in everybody's life, and if we don't start addressing it. It's just going to continue to snowball and get bigger and bigger and bigger. And it has, uh, now I was talking about 1960 here. (laughs) Right. My father was institutionalized in 1960, and I can't really see much of anything that's changed since then, to tell you the truth. Uh, uh, Look, it's not like I go into institutions and visit people all the time, other than prisons I guess we go to once in a while, but... Um, have I, I'm hoping things have gotten a lot better for the mentally ill, have they? Uh, in a lot of ways they have, in a lot of ways they haven't. It, it yeah. is, you know, it, it, it's two sides of every coin. You know, we, we've gotten to a point where we typically don't use uh, physical straight jackets or physical restraints anymore. We use chemical restraints. Right. So, you know, is that any better? Um, you know, their anxiety level tends to not be as bad because they're kind of doped up. Right. But, uh, you know, they're still not interacting with society and part of our community at that point. They're they're detained, they're put away, and somebody has to take care of them. Yeah, that is very true. I just, um, I don't know, I see all these things. What I really do not like, as far as the, the mental health of the United States of America and all its citizens is when the news people and the politicians and Hollywood start telling you what happened before they even know the facts. They're blaming it on people that had nothing to do with it. They make a, right. a, this calculated guess, this educated, they think, guess as to what kind of person did this. Well, the one guy up in Dayton turned out to be the exact opposite. They thought he was a far left nut job, and he was a, a far right nut job, and he turned out to be a far left nut job. Look, they're all nut exactly. jobs to me. They're all nuts. They are. They are. So, and and it, 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 it is a, a dangerous thing. You know, the reality of it is if you're mentally ill, you're more likely to be a victim than a perpetrator of crime. Sure, sure. But, but the problem is when you do become that perpetrator on mentally, when you're mentally ill, your contact with reality is so poor that you go out big time. It's not a, oh, I'm just going to go punch somebody kind of situation. And it becomes, you know, a statistical oddity that you're the perpetrator. That's one of the reasons why it makes so much news. But the other side to that is um, you are following basic tenets of criminology. In other words, you look for soft targets. And they go, oh, well, this is so perpetrated. You know, they planned this out. Well, they might have, but they did it under the guise of their mental illness. In other words, you know, yeah, we're not saying they're not guilty, but... There's a situation there that we have to uh, uh, mitigate, and that's the mental illness. So we don't need to treat that person the same way we do uh, a Jeffrey Dahmer. No, and, no question uh, about it, yeah. And uh, that's what—that's typically when I get involved in the court system as a forensic psychologist is in the mitigation phase. And the courts have already deemed they're guilty or innocent, whatever happens at that point. 
And uh, I think someone like me should be involved long before they ever end up in the Corrections Institute. Yeah. You know, I yep. think, and that's why I like the idea of mental health warrant, where somebody makes some bizarre statement and it threatens somebody. So they call the police. And what happens today is the police goes in, interviews, looks at social media, writes up a report, says First Amendment rights, puts it in a file somewhere in the police department until the next person calls and complains. And they right. do this over and over and over. They haven't actually violated any laws, so there's really nothing the police can do. Mm-hmm. What I'd like to have happen is that that report goes to a judge instead of to that file. And the judge looks at it, and after we do a little bit of education to the judge and talk about tendencies, you know, what, what are the indications that this person is more likely to to actually end up violating uh, some law, and one of them is, are they single? We know 79% of our mass shooters are single or just recently divorced oh, or separated. Yeah, yeah. Really? So I know that. that doesn't mean if you're single you're going to go do this, but if you've got the warning signs, that's something to look at. And the judges need to be educated on some of these things. There's there's a, a several other you know criteria that are there. And if those criteria are met, the judge then needs to get that police officer and give him a warrant to go search the premises, see if there's actually material there that that person could do. If he's 16 years old, says he's going to shoot up a mall, does mom and dad have a gun safe? Are there guns in there? You know, does, does he have access to that to move forward? And yeah. let, the, let the police do their job and investigate. Yeah. I'm not saying arrest them. Just find out, is this a potential person who could do something like this? You know, Take we, it back to the judge. The judge looks at it and says, okay, there's a potential here. Let's get him evaluated to see what his mental health risk is for actually perpetrating on somebody. And send him to somebody like me who's had training. Let us do an evaluation. We give the evaluation back to the judge. And the judge makes a decision. Hey, you need to start therapy. Mom and dad, you have to get a safe or we're going to take your guns until you do have a safe. You know, whatever whatever the judge sees, all the way up to civil commitment mm-hmm. where they get detained. And, and, you know, along the way, this person's allowed due process. We don't just strip their civil rights away from them. And we, at the same time, we're doing something to pre- prevent potential mass shootings. And it's better than anything anybody's proposed so far. And nobody's doing anything, really, except for blaming the other party. Well, don't you have to constantly worry about you know, civil liberties groups? Being, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I mean, they wouldn't be so Absolutely. against Absolutely, it should this. never be forgotten. That is, I, I, I'm a gun owner. I take my kids hunting and fishing, camping. Uh, you know, I, I, I love getting a new gun. I mean, it, it's it's... It's part of what I think of as the American way and going out and learning and practicing and honing your, your shooting skills. And, you know, my kids do it with me. My wife does it with me. It's a family thing. And uh, I don't want anybody to be able to come and just rip my rights away from me and take those guns away from me. The same as I don't want them to do it to anybody else. But you can't yell fire in an auditorium or during a movie. Mm-hmm. But we have free of freedom of speech. So what what's the criteria here? And there isn't one spelt out. And the, the thing I'm happy about, like I said, the last 24 hours, I've been taking phone calls from politicians across the country, and they're actually sitting there talking to me and saying, "Okay, I think there's a way we can we can put safety checks in there to keep our civil liberties from being ripped away from everybody." Mm-hmm. And okay. you know, one of the things is have a process to, you know potentially take that civil liberty away, also have a process that they can go back once they've, you know, calmed down or got their mental illness under control and maybe can be reevaluated to get those civil liberties back. Yeah, that would make sense. I, I, I have to ask you a question. This is just from my personal experience, and I just thought of this from listening to you talk. From my experience with my father, who was schizophrenic, Yes, that there would be a period at first when you could you could see it coming, he would be very afraid. That was the first thing. It was mm-hmm. always be very afraid. And then he'd get almost childlike in his fear. Like he was like a little boy kind of. The yes. fear the fear gripped him. And on the other side of being a little boy is when the rage came out. So there mm-hmm. are indicators when these people are going to get that angry and maybe even harmful. 
Yeah, if somebody's paying attention. You got to pay attention. Well, the problem is, that's, I think, that's that, the Dr. problem. Huber, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think the problem, Dr. Huber, is when they do act childlike in that, in, in, in every case, is when the family wants to protect them and surround them and keep them away from anybody else. Or right. actually, when they start that childlike behavior is when they should be taken to the hospital. Absolutely. Because, man, absolutely. You, the that, side of that. That's. At least for your father, that definitely was. And for a lot of other patients that I've seen, that's one of the main, you know, warning signs, the red flag, and it's hoisted all the way to the top of the mast. That, yep. hey, yep. something bad's about to happen. We need to do something. Well, there was always an indication when he was going to get crazy, and it was always uh-huh. kind of like a, a little scared child thing. It was it was yep. very sad, actually, really sad. And, and that's actually a, probably a really good descriptor because – they don't like losing control. No. Nobody does. Right. No, that's exactly it. I, I just think it's – I'm glad that you're out there doing this work, and uh, I hope people do pay attention because it's not like having pneumonia. It's not like, well, just put no. it in the hospital and it'll be fine. That's not how it works. And Americans, as an American, I feel just so fed up with the lack of trying to do anything. You know, uh, they're just screaming about the NRA is a bunch of assassins now. And right. Maxine Waters is, you know, twe- tweeting out, you know, hate stuff about the NRA. I don't know if the NRA does good things or bad things. I really, I have no idea. Right. But, you know, to blame a group of people, um, it just, yeah, it it, no uh, it's just so frustrating because you come up with a great idea and everybody's going to be, well, what side, you know, I, I just... It's just frustrating because you just feel like nothing can be done because there's no common sense anymore. And and that's that's what we're trying to do is give some guidance and say let's let's look at this rationally. And one of the rational things that people don't like to talk about is the fact that these mass shootings kill less than 300 people every year, with the exception of 9/11 where we had 3,000 and they didn't use a gun; they used a box knife and an airplane. Yep. So, but so you know, ch- it's not the weapon, it's it's the people. Yeah, but it's, And 2017, it's, we had 47,000 gun deaths. Less than 300 of them were mass shootings. That makes it less than one-tenth of one percent of all the gun deaths in our, in our country that year. Yet, that made up 85% of the headlines mm-hmm. that year. Oh, you're right. You're absolutely right. Do you have a few and, more? Do you have to get going, Dr. Huber, or do you, do you have a few I, more? Actually, minutes? I do have a... a, a one coming up like almost immediately here. Damn it. Um, but, well, Catherine uh, has one more question for you, if you don't mind. Okay. We'll get it done quickly. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> Let's no, go. <laughs> I was just wondering what you think about this arm, arming teachers in schools. Because they, they, they've been passing some of that stuff down in Florida, apparently. Is that, that's, yeah. that's their uh, way of dealing with it. Well, I, I don't like soft targets because I work with criminals all the time as a forensic psychologist, and they like to go after places that and people that are not going to fight back. Right. That That is a target for them. And if they want to go hurt people, they go to churches, banks, schools. Mm-hmm. It is easy pickings for them. Their anticipation a lot of times is that either, A, they're smarter than the police and they'll be able to get away, or B, this is this is a I'm not returning kind of mission here, and I'm going to take out as many as I can take out with. <laughs> so when you look at that, I look at countries like Israel that not only allow teachers in a lot of cases, teachers are required to carry firearms, but in Israel, everybody serves at least one year before they go on to college. When they right. turn 18, right. they go serve. They get trained in how to use weapons. Same thing with Switzerland. Uh, I mean, think about it. Dr. Ruth was a sniper. Okay, for the oh, Israeli God. army. <laughs> oh, okay. no. And, and you know, there, there's training there. So I think we should look at our teachers that have military training and say, if they want to, you know, let them do it. Okay. Well, you talk about soft targets. It is interesting. Something like 90% of mass shootings happen in gun-free zones, which would uh, mm-hmm. speak to that. They would seek out a gun-free zone because it means no one's going to be firing back at them. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. John Huber has to move on to his next interview. Always a great pleasure to see your name on the docket, doctor. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Can't wait till next time. Dr. John Huber, ladies and gentlemen, we will be right back with the family. 
It's Tom Bernard with CEO Michael Bilski from North American Banking Company. Michael, we spent some time talking about your free app and money transfer service, XCheck, which is just great, by the way. You can transfer money to your kid to travel home from college and lots of other uses. I got wind of another service you provide at North American Banking Company. What's this Super ID I've been hearing about? Great question, Tommy. Super ID uses your face proof and your finger proof to keep your identity and your money secure. It's really a foolproof way to protect your family and your business from identity fraud. It's simple, fast, and oh, the best part is that it's free to our customers. Super ID, super easy, and super secure. Visit nabanco.com or see my personal banker to get the scoop on XCheck and Super ID. North American Banking Company, a better banking experience. Member FDIC and an equal housing lender. Tom Bernard here for Whiting Clinic LASIK and Cataract. There's no better time than now to ditch your contacts and pitch your glasses. Whiting Clinic is the place I trusted to do this for me, and it's not just me. There's a reason Whiting Clinic is the number one LASIK practice in the United States. Dr. Whiting's unsurpassed experience, the most advanced Contura laser technology, and lifetime coverage are all backed by Whiting Clinic's best price guarantee. Being the experts they are, they wanted to make sure you have the very best for your eyes, just like I did. Call now for Whiting Clinic's $500 off LASIK savings. If you're like me, not a big fan of glasses and contact lenses, then it's time you found out if you're a candidate for LASIK. And Whiting Clinic is definitely the place to go. Call 855-554-2020 today or visit whitingclinic.com to set up your free LASIK consultation. Remember to tell them that I sent you and save $500 on your LASIK. Offer good for a limited time. Call Whiting Clinic for details. Good for both eyes only. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Oh, God. Now, how many times do we hear this at our wedding, honey? 100,000. We danced to this song at least 30 times at our wedding. Everybody was wow. in a big circle, dogging and in and out. It's a good song. Yeah. I love it. Radio, Jack and Jill by Radio. What a yep. great song. Um, He's uh, not down the hill. I love that. It was a, a very good conversation with him. And I just... I, Dr. John Huber, yeah, I just, he's always good. But I just feel like we can't ever get anything done because all anybody wants to do is blame and name call. And make money. Well, they don't, they don't care about misery. solving problems. They nope. want, just want to be on Twitter calling people names. Right. A big reason for that is because people are hyper-emotional right now, and anyone who promises them a solution right now, I'll fix everything for you right now if you just give me enough money and power, they're going to listen to that person because they're vulnerable. Because, I mean, we've, you know, we've encountered some things down in Florida where um, homeless people have stabbed people mm-hmm. for no apparent reason they've Sitting been living having their dinner they've been the on this and these, hom- these homeless people have been on the streets for a long time they're supported by the community they get their needs met they're they get their medical needs met everything and they've been there for a long long time and then all of a sudden they just they just stab somebody yep. and there's not a thing you can do about them mm-hmm. as far as predicting well, that they're going to do something like that because who's who's going to be observing them enough to know if they're escalating into right. a dark side of their right. mental illness? Some kid in Japan just burned down an anime studio because they turned down his idea for a manga. Didn't uh, he kill like 200 people or something? I think something like 40 people died. 40 people. He burned down the building and they couldn't escape. And, you know... Didn't need a single weapon for that. Just set the building on fire. He set the building All it on takes fire. is someone who is crazy enough to want to kill people, and they'll kill people. He turned down his idea for a what? Basically a comic. Oh. Well, and it's like the mental health is obviously the key factor in every time we have one of these mm-hmm. situations, whether right. it's burning a building down or gunfire. But it always seems to become a side note. Every time something like yeah. this happens, and then it's just guns, 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 <clears throat> or whatever. That's it's, because it's the easy fix. Take away all guns, no more mass murders. Well, That's it, what people think. Just, they think that one plus guns. one yeah. equals two, though, right? They feel, okay, so the majority of these people that take out a lot of people are using those AK-47s. 
AK-47s? Is that what the gun is? AK-47? No one has an AK-47. Well, whatever it is. It's some sort of assault rifle or something Mm -hmm. like that. And so they're, they're, you know, it's just like, it just makes sense that people would say, we don't like this gun because this gun seems to be the weapon of choice for yeah. mass murderers. Well, but then you get the UK, they ban all guns, people start stabbing each other, yeah. and now you can't walk around with a knife or have a knife in your car. But how many people have actually died in the UK from being stabbed? A lot. A lot? Yeah, a lot that's, people, that's, yeah. yeah, they've been hiring gang kids to... There's massive, like, but you're not, yeah. you're not stabbing 20 people you're not stabbing 50 people at not one at time. once but individually so i mean i'm just saying it's slowing down the process a little no, bit uh, one tenth of a percent well and that's something that, that the mass murders are just one tenth of Ma- percent yeah of mass murders murder. are such a small that's the thing is it's difficult to it's just so emotional like i mean yeah they're very sensational and it sucks to think that you have that tiny chance of you or your child dying at random yes but the odds are so small that you would be better off thinking about drunk drivers. Your a drunk driver is like well, a thousand true. times oh, yeah. more likely to kill yeah, your or kid. More. Probably yeah, or a lot more. more than that. A drunk driver. Um, or texting. Yeah, ta- a distracted driver. Much, much more likely to get you or someone in your family killed. But right. for some reason, that makes up the tiniest amount of legislature and the news even though so many more lives would be saved if we took care of that problem versus the mass shooting problem. Well, they finally passed a law about texting and driving, finally. Well, but Mm -hmm. but 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 there's laws on the books that that texting and driving have nothing to do with it. In fact, in in Great Britain, they they passed such severe laws, you could lose your right to drive or your driver's license, and texting went up after that. Really? The incidence of texting went up after that. It had nothing to do with it. There are laws that say inattentive driving is unallowed. It disallowed. So it doesn't work. So people, there's a cultural issue, just like guns, just mm-hmm. like texting. There's a cultural issue. Oh, this is okay. It's okay to do this. It's okay. Everybody does it. Everybody does it. I mean, so it's, it's, there's, yeah. there's no shame in doing it. No one can shame them because, oh, don't shame me. Oh, I'm such a flower. Right. In true. Minnesota alone in 2017, 100 people died from just drunk driving or distracted driving yeah. and another 100 from speeding. So that right there is more than mass shooting deaths in five, six years throughout the entire country. Probably about And that's just in Minnesota. So why aren't we all talking about this and how this is such a huge problem? People have been talking about it, but for some strange reason. The news isn't. Then Hollywood isn't and Twitter isn't. They don't care. It makes you wonder why. And there's a solution to to that problem. Take away their license if you drunk drive. you You drunk drive once. You lose your license for six months. A lot you of places do second, that. You lose your license forever, and you lose the car you're driving in. Yep. That's what they do in a lot of Problem European solved. I totally <laughs> agree with that. Yeah. I totally I agree too. with that. Because what is it, three, four times maybe you you get a DUI, maybe they'll take away your yeah, license for long it. enough? No, it's ridiculous. Read, we just read an article about a month ago on the KQ Morning Show. Guy just got his 19th DUI. <laughs> And he hasn't had a driver's license in like 20 years. Yep. He's still driving. He's still driving. And uh, well, and the argument is, oh, well, um, he borrowed a car from a neighbor or a relative <laughs> who didn't, who yeah, didn't right. know, but who, yeah, they didn't, didn't know, know yeah. about all their the DUIs. DUIs. Well, yeah, then sure he should be did. in prison. Well, that's, and, that's, and that's what happened to the police officer in Wyzetta. He was run over by a woman who didn't have yeah. a driver's license. Is that because, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. She, yeah. Yeah. she, she, oh, she, yeah. she mm-hmm. took somebody's car, borrowed somebody's car. That's why. Was she a booze house? Might have been. Some sort of impairment. Why is that? A, yeah, last so was it last year or the year two, before? Two, two and a half years ago, yeah. yeah. Oh, I was talking about the guy just last weekend. Oh, she was high. Oh, she he, was Oh, that's right, out on, on so there you Highway go. 12. We, we do have a caller. Officer Dave is calling in. Oh, no. I mean, oh, good. Oh, Someone's <laughs> going to bring sanity to this discussion. What's yeah, up, well, Officer Dave? I, that's what made me want to call in, Tom, is that Right now, on your first DWI, you do lose your license. Good. But like the, the lawyers and everyone and the judges, they all say, well, okay, we'll give you a work license. Oh, and God. generally what happens is a limited license. They go and they can go to work and back, allegedly. There's that big word, allegedly, mm, again. Yeah. And what's what's stopping them? And, yeah, what's, exactly, yeah, what's stopping what's them? What's the chances of them getting stopped? Right, right, if they follow the rules. Well, then they don't follow the rules. They get their second DWI. Okay, now 
it goes up from a misdemeanor to a gross misdemeanor. And then now it's, you know, okay, now you can't drive for a year. You may lose your uh, car, depending on your alcohol level, and then there are extenuating cir- circumstances. So it's the, those laws are already in place, but what pro- happens is is that they get legislated, or not legislated, I'm sorry, litigated down to a slap on the wrist. Yep. It just there's got to be there's got to be teeth to the law. So and, and it's like whose fault like, is this? Is, is this the judge? Is, are the, is it the judge that's making these decisions? Well, it's part partially, hmm. partially, but it's partially um, the lawyers, and it's you know, God bless Michael Brown. Michael, don't get mad at me, but <laughs> part of it is is all that stuff, and everybody, you know, we go out, we try to catch them, and the next thing you know, they're they're back on the road. Well, it's just it's it's frustrating because exactly what you guys are talking about. It's all in place. It just doesn't get followed through litigation. So how about okay? So some judge or some attorney gets somebody off for their drunk driving offenses, and they go out and they kill somebody. How about the family can go after the attorney and the judge? How would that work? That'll well, never happen. Yeah, that goes that goes on. That's on the judges. I mean, you, people have been charged with criminal vehicular homicide all the time, who have their their driver's license or are still driving because they drive a car under someone else's name. Unbelievable! It's it's a sad, vicious circle. So, it what would you like is. to see happen? What would I like to see happen? Mm-hmm. Oh boy! I don't think there's enough time <laughs> in the day for that. By the way, so they do a very good Clint Eastwood from uh, Gran Torino. Ooh, I love uh, uh, It's a great movie. <laughs> it is a great so, yeah. movie, no doubt about it. All right, young man, I love get, that movie so much. Get yep. back to work, brother. Well, get over to Theater Earth Actually, Park and arrest some naked people, would you? It's, it's Sunday, so I'm sitting here parked along the side of the road talking to you. Oh. Excellent. Excellent. Ah, you well. guys are the best. Thanks a lot. Bye. Thanks, Officer Dave. Thank you, guys. Bye. Saudi Arabia, 10 years in prison, drunk driving. Yeah, Ten years sounds in about prison. right. Well, I mean, that's you what you would get if you got drunk and started, you know, firing a weapon randomly. And that's... Yeah, well, that's true. Well, the other thing is, is... A car is a weapon. You would think that the cost of defending yourself in a DUI, it, I believe it's like $10,000, $15,000 to get out of a DUI. You'd think that would be a deterrent. <clears throat> Not yeah, if no, you get a public defender and the judge himself likes to do a little bit of drinking and, you know... Oh, that's my fear. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, but, you know, those yeah, but so they take your license. Who cares? That's true. Just yeah, drive just keep out. driving drive because you're never going to get... Who cares? Uh, you don't go to jail for driving without a license, so why just okay. keep doing it? As long as you get the judge who sees a younger version of himself in you, he's yeah. never going to punish you. Yeah, it could have happened to anybody. Poor thing. Mm-hmm. So, he just got caught. Catherine, I don't want you to get too depressed when I read this next story. Okay. It's your kind of deal. Okay. I'm stealing uh, myself right now. There is a um, retailer in New York filing for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection mm-hmm. the latest retailer to buckle as shoppers move online and real estate costs soar this uh the store in new york they're all over the country well they're in all the big cities san francisco boston beverly hills las vegas chicago seattle new york so it's not barney's it is barney's they I've, filed chapter 11 bank i've always hated barney's why do you hate barney <laughs> oh, oh. I've never understood. I'm going across the table ladder. Hold me back, Tom. Hold me back. I've never understood the allure of Barney's. I'm like, they've got five things in the store. (laughs) And all of them are $10,000. No. You know how much their rent is per month, Barney? Oh, because they've got primo locations, yeah. The rent is $2.5 million a month. That is ridiculous. Oh, that's why. That's why RoboCop isn't that far away. Or no, Judge Dredd, Mega City One. Oh yeah, just a gigantic block of apartments and nothing else. Exactly. Or Mm -hmm. Well, they just go to the outlet malls. Then they (laughs) they 
Barney's New York is finally for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection. The latest retail at a buckle of shoppers move online and real estate costs soar. The iconic clothier founded almost a century ago will keep the doors open to its 10-story Madison Avenue store, but it has secured $75 million in financing to pay employees. Yikes. They don't have any money to pay their employees even. Sure How are they, they going to pay $75 million back? They're not. That's what bankruptcy's for. Well, but why would you give them $75 million? I don't know. Some of the assets. That might maybe they can seize it. Probably. The I suppose they can seize maybe the assets are. I suppose that's true. the name Barney's for a, uh, Barney. for a internet store. I like when they go Barney. In any case, ladies and gentlemen, Mike Cole with us. How you doing, Mike? Good. How are you? Thanks so much for having me. It's our pleasure to have you on here. My my wife is happy, but my buddy Ralph is sad that Barney's in New York and they're closing. They're keeping a few stores open. You a big uh, big Barney shopper, or Mike? Probably not, huh? You know, it's funny. I, uh, well, I live in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, and oh, okay. It's not just Barney's, actually. New York is uh, New York's going through a lot of changes right now, so I definitely feel your pain. What is the problem, Mike? I know the rents are just psychotically high, but I suppose if you have a 10-story right, store. Right, right. That, that, so that's exactly what it is. There's a thing called rent blight. So these uh, commercial landlords, they know that if they hold out for big box retailers like Target or Best Buy, that uh, they can get bigger rents. So they're, you know, incentivized to do that. And that causes the commercial real estate landscape to change. Hmm. And it's not just New York. It's happening in cities across the country. It is. It absolutely is happening across the country. No question about that. I do need to take a very quick break, Mike, and we'll be right back. we got an entire segment for you. That, that work for you? Great. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. We'll be right back in a couple of seconds with Mike Cole, ladies and gentlemen. Contact premieres tomorrow night. 9 o'clock Central Time on Discovery Channel, and again on Thursday, August 8th at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, 8 p.m. Central on the Science Channel. Right back with Mike Cole and the family. Tom here for Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. Right now, Sabre and Bryant are teaming up to offer 0% financing for 36 months when you buy a new Bryant furnace. This is the perfect time to replace your old furnace with a new trouble-free, energy-efficient furnace from Sabre. And when you buy Bryant equipment, you're getting one of the most trusted names in the industry. This 0% offer is available for a limited time. Call Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning to find out more. And please tell them that Tom sent you. Sabre and Bryant, whatever it takes. It's Tom telling you that you can lose an average of 26.2 pounds on the 40-day weight loss program powered by Nutramost. I lost 92.5 pounds in less than five months. Thanks to the Sheehy Brothers and the Ultimate Wellness and Weight Loss Program powered by Nutramost. And I encourage you to let them help you lose weight as they teach you how to stay healthy and keep that weight off. Take it from me. Having a coach keeps you accountable and it makes achieving your goals so much easier. Let the Ultimate Wellness and Weight Loss Program powered by Nutramost help you. Schedule your immediate consultation or attend the Nutramost free dinner at 6.30 p.m. on Monday, August 19th at Jake's in Plymouth. Call now, 763-333-7337. That's 763-333-7337. Study data comes from client-submitted data to a third party for tracking of daily weight loss and progress through the Nutramost Weight Loss Programs. See website for full disclaimer details. Ladies and gentlemen, we are back. Contact premieres tomorrow night, 10 o'clock Eastern Time, 9 o'clock Central. On Discovery Channel, and again on Thursday, August 8th, at 9 o'clock Eastern Time, 8 o'clock Central on Science Channel. Um, my God, viewers can also watch full episodes anytime on the Discovery Go app. Boy, these Go apps are just amazing, Mike. Yeah, it's really, uh, it's a good, it's a real boon for cord cutters. Folks that that, uh, that want to view TV in a different way have a great opportunity with them. Yeah, they really do. I, matter of fact, um, DirecTV cut CBS from their delivery service. CBS is no longer on DirecTV, but the CBS All Access app, you just go out there, it's like five bucks a month, you get everything that's on CBS, including local programming, by the way, which is pretty amazing they're able to do that. But you're right, these apps are just, man, they're they're really doing well. Uh, a truth yeah, that I do I, I pretty much watch all my I watch all my TV through streaming now. Yeah, most people do now. I shouldn't say most, maybe, but a lot of people do. I know that. Our daughter just cut her. Andy, you don't even have cable, do you? Uh, we do, oh, but yeah. only because it's cheaper to have both cable and internet than just internet because of bundles. Oh, because of bundles, yeah. I suppose that's true. Why not? A truth that is out of this world. All new Discovery Channel series, Contact, 
It does again premiere tomorrow night. I want to hear all about contact. Michael with us. Mike, what's the latest? <laughs> the latest is uh, we're really super excited about the show. Um, the one thing that uh, I'm really excited about and that I think viewers will be excited about is that we're taking a completely new approach with this. All, everyone involved in this investigation, um, we're not uh, UFOologists. What we are are former military intelligence personnel Ooh, and like investigative it. journalists. Love it. Yeah, so it's, I mean, what, what, what hasn't... This, obviously, the question of have we made contact with extraterrestrials has been hit from every possible angle. But the one thing that hasn't been done is that investigative professionals from the news, from the intelligence services, from law enforcement, detectives who really, you know, have entire lifetimes spent at digging at getting to the truth in a variety of subjects and often in hostile situations where sources are attempting to conceal information um, or people have something to hide. Uh, that's who they're throwing at this. And the other cool thing is that we now have, uh, in 2019, two wonderful things that are happening. One is big data technology has reached a point where we can really scrape huge amounts of information that we were unable to do uh, with past computer tech. And also, because of social media, everyone in the world has turned into a UFO investigator. Everybody <laughs> is pulling I out suppose, their phones yeah. and recording. Right. So we really are... I mean, I, I, I don't want to, I, I don't think I'm exaggerating to say that we really are in the middle of a renaissance for, for people who want to get answers to these questions. And I'm really excited that that's what, how the show is tackling it. Yeah, I think it's a, that's a great route to take, by the way, instead of just some hunyuck like me going, well, I used to be doing a morning show, but now I'm a ufologist. They're like, come <laughs> on, man. Settle down with it. Yeah. So I think it's a great, it's a great route you're taking here. Um, why, why do you think it is that people are so concerned about UFOs and aliens and all that? Do they think, like in the movies back in the 50s and 60s and 70s, apparently the UFOs would show up and then they'd take over the Earth and, and we'd lose or yes. something? I don't know. Right. Yeah, no, I think it's, I think it's legitimate. Um, and I think if you also look at history and just the, the history of human interactions, anytime you have a, a highly advanced civilization coming into contact with a civilization that has... Uh, a lesser state of advancement, at least a technological and military state of advancement, there's tremendous disruption um, and incredible, uh, incredible hardship, um, even when uh, the civilizations that are interacting have good intentions toward each other. And I do think that in the 50s and 60s, there was a, the alien invasion trope. You know, we have the famous um, Orson Welles' uh, War of the Worlds uh, radio broadcast that caused panic. Um, you know, that, that story got disseminated and it got picked up I write science fiction uh, as well as doing this stuff, so I, I really know the history of it. And uh, the science fiction community really kind of picked up on that, and that the alien invasion trope is one that we're all familiar with. And even if we think it's seri uh, silly, you know, it gets into the back of your mind. It gets into your subconscious, and, and, and we have concerns. See, my whole deal is every time when I was a, like a young teen or whatever and I would see a UFO movie and the aliens would come out, they would all have these massive heads, and I always thought, well, they'd have horrible balance. You could knock them over with a feather. I mean, they're not scary at all. <laughs> they like, go come down on. like a bag of rocks. They're going to have terrible balance with a head that big. I mean, come on. <laughs> you know what I mean? One, if, 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 you're, if any of your listeners want to cleanse your palate from scary alien movies, I highly recommend <laughs> the movie Arrival. Uh, it's, based on a, it's based on a story by a friend of mine, Ted Chiang, and it's a wonderful uh, uh, not uh, warlike, not a uh, scary story of us interacting with aliens for the first time. You know, the thing about it is that amazing, and I always wondered this, to tell you the truth, that if, that if you know, as we go to the moon and then, you know, the, the uh, Mars lander and all the rest of that, uh, um, the Mars landing, I should say, excuse me, but, but, but I always wondered, why isn't it ever that they want to come down here because they need help or we need help or... You know, it's never it's never because about helping out. If they could get here, then they don't need anything we have to offer. Basically, so, we yeah. don't have anything. To yeah, offer. exactly. Yeah, if they we can, have nothing to offer. If they can well, cross intergalactic news. space, then we are basically irrelevant. I suppose. Do you know the, the, the right? One, right. The one thing that kind of maybe drives yep. is, is sort of the the Fermi paradox, mm -hmm. which you know says that. Yeah. The, you know, where is everybody? You know, yeah. there's, got, there's billions of right. planets that could have that could support life based on our understanding of life. But where is everybody? And no one has shown up yet. And, you know, and maybe it's just too far to go. 
It's or a maybe long we're, distance. Or maybe we're not worth going to. Yeah, maybe. Well, if you yeah. think about it, it's like, and imagine think- there was an anthill that took you 500 years to get to. Why go there? Exactly. I think a lot of our conception of aliens is based on, look, we have a limited frame of reference. We're human beings. The only other intelligent life that we've ever had contact with is other human beings and what are human interactions like when we find new territory when mm-hmm. we explore new it's always warfare it's always conquest it's always the subjugation and mistreatment of the of of the civilizations we encounter that don't have the military resources to stand up to us so i think that we just that's what we know so we can't vision envision any other kind of contact but the truth is we don't know and if we're dealing with a life form that is sufficiently advanced and sufficiently mysterious, what motivates them, what they would want, that could be something totally beyond anything we can imagine. And it may be that first contact when it comes will be something we can't even conceive of. That reminds me of an episode of Star Trek, The Next Generation, when there were little twinkling lights were the aliens mm-hmm. and they called us ugly bags of water. <laughs> yeah, it was a it was a silicon based like microscopic life form. <laughs> ugly bags of water. Well you know not exactly a compliment, but uh, what are you going to do? I, I, I just... With some, it's not a far stretch. Yeah. Exactly. Now, Mike, is it true, because heard, I've heard this from many, many different people, that there are actual ancient cave drawings of, of an, what appear to be an alien people, an actual, uh, I don't know if you'd call them flying saucer or not, but drawings of... Drawings of these vehicles they came in. Is that true or is that all just made UFOs? up? UFOs? So it, it is true that there are ancient drawings that some have interpreted to oh. uh, possibly be to, 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 uh, to provide that. But the truth is, first of all, when we're dealing with the very ancient past, in a lot of questions we have to throw up our hands and say that we can't be sure. Right. Um, and we also have to be aware of what's called the Forer effect, which is to say that what do humans do when we look at something that's strange to us? We impose the familiar on it. We, you know, we say, this is like that. This looks to me like something I've seen before. So, for example, uh, I don't know, if an ancient artist is trying to portray a skull, and, uh, but they use artistic license and it has big eyes. Right. Well, those of us who grew up with images of aliens with big eyes in the 50s and 50s might say, that's an alien. Right. But that, right. May not, that may not correctly divine the author's intent, uh, the artist's intent. So the, the truth is, there are ancient drawings out there that we are not sure about. Do they actually portray aliens? That's a question that's still in dispute. So there are drawings, but we don't know for sure what they were all about. Yeah, we're still be. looking into that. And yeah. the, some of this yeah. will be addressed on the show. Oh, really? Good. See, so you well, you're right in my wheelhouse. This is what I'm, you know, uh, there are all these shows now about uh, have aliens visited, have this, have that. With with you guys, and what I mean, what I mean by you guys, I went down the list of the qualifications of everybody that's on the show or involved with the show. This is what I've been looking for. It's like, let's figure out exactly where we are, what this is all about, from people who actually know what the hell they're talking about. That, that That's a new attractive part of your show, Mike. Yeah, we're, I mean, we're super excited about it. I mean, we have, uh, you know, I have a background uh, in, in military intelligence and law enforcement and investigation. Wonderful. My, uh, my co-host in the Situation Room is a, uh, a professor and a, a, con- a conflict geographer. He spent his entire life investigating battlefields. Um, we have Sarah Crudis, who's a known astrophysicist and space journalist. We have Paul Beaven, who's a, a known investigative journalist. And then we have Nick Carnese and Kala, who are both career military intelligence officers whose entire lives have been spent on the ground in hostile territory, uh, answering questions often uh, where the evidence they need and the answers are being deliberately hidden. But you really have a team of crack investigators who are agnostic to the material. Uh, we, our job is to go into situations where there are hard questions that we may or may not have any experience uh, in dealing with, but the one thing we do know is how to get questions answered, and more importantly, how to deal with data impartially, how to sift, right. uh, um, frankly, falsehood from real data. So 
that's the real strength of the show, I think, is that you really, we really do have a crack investigative team here. And that's the great part for me, to tell you the truth, is, and that's why when I looked at the list of people you were t- just uh, describing there, we're in a situation where none of you have anything to gain by saying there is or is not alien life. You're just investigating. There's no upside on either side of it for right. you guys, which I, I really like that. Yeah, yeah, we uh, we definitely like. Look, we we made a few promises and we did this show. And the first was that we would follow where the data led, so that if the data led us to there's nothing happening here, then that's what we're going to say, right. um, as disappointing as it will be. And if the data leads us to stuff that seems, frankly, absolutely crazy, then we're gonna um, we're gonna go that way too. Like we're not. We are data agnostic. Our job is to investigate this as dispassionately and as removed from the subject matter as possible. It we is. come to it without preconceived notions, and, and that's, the, uh, that's where you know, we go where the data leads. It is terrific. Contact premieres tomorrow night, 10 o'clock Eastern, 9 o'clock Central, on Discovery Channel, and again on Thursday, August 8th, uh, <laughs> at 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Central on Science Channel. And, of course, viewers can also watch full episodes anytime on Discovery Go app free with their paid TV subscription. Mike, thank you so much for your time. Great, great talking to you, sir. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. This was a blast. It was a lot of fun. Thank you. Mike Cole, that's M-Y-K-E, by the way. See, I do like that. There's nothing in it for them. There's no gain for them, other than, you know, being on a popular TV show, I guess, make it interesting. But I just don't, whenever somebody has something to to gain, well, I do have my alien museum in Vegas, so, you know, it's like, yeah, come on, man. You sign up for the alien museum. Time. The alien museum, well, you know. And, and to actually follow the facts, what do you know? Following facts would be good as well. Yeah, I, I like that's refreshing. I love part. it. Yeah, in, 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 uh, Scott Walter's show is a bit like that. I like Scott Walter. Yeah, but his show was a little bit like that, where oh, this didn't pan out. This is really nothing. This is and he, yeah. he's done that sort of stuff. So, you know, to be honest, like that, I think it really is refreshing. Yes. Uh, I wonder I if they're going to be at the uh, uh, Area Fifty One uh, mob. They shut over. it down. Oh, they shut it down. Yeah, it's gone. It's done. Yeah, mm-hmm. what could go wrong? They yeah, basically really. said, "You show up, we're going to shoot you. You come inside the fence, you're going to get shot." So. Exactly. I don't think anybody's going inside the fence line. I'm almost, I, my favorite thing about an Area 51, sorry, it wasn't Area 51, but it was a nuclear power plant or nuclear test site in Vega, in, out in Nevada. And there was a sign on the fence that said, no one who says nuclear allowed beyond this point. <laughs> or athlete. Athlete or nuclear. <laughs> Where do they get athlete, by the way? I don't know. He's athlete. a good athlete. Athlete. Athletics. Probably because athle- athletics almost has a little eh in there. Athletics. 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 I don't know. We have a friend who says athlete, as a matter of fact, and Catherine knows exactly who it is. Oh, the guy's a good athlete. <laughs> Only people from Alabama say athlete. Athlete. Pretty much true. Well, maybe it's just an accent. No thing. one who says nuclear allowed beyond this point. <laughs> 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 All right, that was a hell of a month. But that show shot by really, really quickly. Yeah, it's great. Kristen's part always blows by. It really does. It goes by very, very quickly. And then having Dr. John Huber and Mike Cole on talking about great, interesting subjects. and. Yeah. And your take on all the other uh, stories in the middle section was really, really nice as well. So we shall talk to you tomorrow with the family. 